Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Luke chapter 3, verses 3 to 6 is what we're studying this morning. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles along, please reach inside your bulletin folder. You'll find a white half sheet there called the Crosswalk Notes. We've been going through the seven habits of highly effective Christians. We're on habit five this morning. First, understand yourself, then understand your neighbor. And I'm going to begin by reading Luke 3, verses 3 to 6. You can follow along in your crosswalk notes or in your own Bibles. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Do you know who this is? It's John the Baptist. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. I don't know how many of you caught it yesterday on uh, NBC in the afternoon. was an hour-long summary of uh, the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon. Always love watching the triathlon. But you have to ask yourself, what kind of person would even think about running a triathlon? In fact, after I got done uh, watching it, I went on to the Ironman website, and uh, there was an article there written by a man named Lee Greenfield, a whole article about why not to run an Ironman. Run, bike, and swim an Ironman, by the way. First of all, he says, it hurts way too much. Secondly, he says, it's addictive. He compares it to a bag of potato chips. When you, once you do one, you can't stop, and you have to do it over and over again. He says, addictions are bad. You shouldn't do the Iron Man. He says, the food stinks. His wife is an Iron Man athlete. He's not, and he watches her. Here's a quote from him. He says, these, these kinds of foods you eat, I've seen paramedics put more appetizing stuff on open wounds. That doesn't sound pleasant to me. Here's my favorite one. You don't get anywhere. Swimming, biking, and running are modes of transportation, he points out. Look up transportation in the dictionary, and you'll find that it means going from one place to another. Swimming was invented to get across rivers. The bicycle lets you go to the grocery store faster than walking. And running was good for escaping from lions or chasing down chickens. In each case, the point is to end up in a different place than where you started. But not the Iron Man, uh-uh. In the Iron Man, you swim, bike, and run yourself into near exhaustion, only to end up right where you began, and you don't even have a bag of groceries to show for it, he says. He goes on to talk about some of the other reasons. It's expensive, bad weather. He points out that you can train for a whole year long, and, uh, and on that day, it doesn't matter what the weather is, you're going to be doing the triathlon. I think some people ask a very similar question about being a Christian, a follower of Christ. Why do it? After all, you know, Christians have this reputation if they're bold and forward and honest and straightforward. Well, then they're probably not giving off the impression of being inclusive or kind, or, or wanting to reach out to people of all kinds. On the other hand, 
If they're a little shy and quiet and retiring, then they get the reputation for letting people drive off the edge of a cliff without giving them the slightest warning. You sometimes feel as a Christian that you're in a lose-lose proposition. If you speak up, you're being a jerk. If you don't speak up, you're letting people go on without really trying to help them. I think it would have been very difficult. Maybe the same kind of question could have been asked about the triathlon that, was asked, that, that we could ask about John the Baptist. Why would anyone ever want to be John the Baptist? Here's a guy living in the desert, camping out under the Israel version of a mesquite tree or in a hole in the rock. That was his home. Clothing. The Bible tells us camel's hair was his clothing. Food. Locusts and wild honey. Who in the world, just like the triathlon runner, would want to be John the Baptist? And yet there he was. In fact, more than there he was because it's clear from what we read this morning that John the Baptist was there and he very much wanted to be in that position. John the Baptist had caught a vision. A vision given to him, not out of his own imagination, a vision given to him by God himself. And did you catch it? It's in verse 6. Pull out your crosswalk notes because I want you to underline it, maybe double underline it, even circle it. Pull out your crosswalk notes, grab a pen, and I want you to circle verse 6. This is the vision that God had given to John the Baptist. And all mankind will see God's salvation. Why would any of us want to be a Christian? Why would John the Baptist want to do what he was doing? Because the Holy Spirit had drawn him into God's vision for the world. That all mankind would see God's salvation. And John the Baptist was a key player in that plan of salvation. John the Baptist was the man that people had been looking forward to for a long time. The Elijah who was to come. The new prophet who would be the final prophet of the Old Testament period. Who would point to the Messiah, that he's here. He's finally arrived, just as God had promised. And it would be John the Baptist's honorable work, his task in life, his mission, to clear away all the obstacles that people in his day had in their hearts to seeing Jesus as that Messiah. What an awesome mission. And that's why when Luke wrote this book, he says, Here's a description, an Old Testament description of what John the Baptist would be doing. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth and all mankind will see God's salvation. Do you notice what it's saying there, really? It's saying that there are a lot of obstacles to all mankind seeing God's salvation. Obstacles where? You know, don't you? 
Where are those obstacles? Well, they're in your heart and mine. All those ravines and mountains and crooked roads and rough ways, those are all God's picturesque way of saying there's sin in our hearts. And the sin in our hearts becomes an obstacle to our hearts being receptive to Jesus being the Messiah. And that's what John the Baptist's mission in life was, to, to make hearts receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what's a receptive heart look like? Jesus once told a parable of what an unreceptive heart looks like. Remember that parable in Matthew chapter 13, where he said a farmer went out to sow some seed? And some of the seed, he said, fell along the path, and the birds came along and ate it up. Other, other parts of the seed fell on rocky soil, and the, the soil was shallow, so the, the, the seed sprang up into a plant, but pretty soon the sun came out and heated up that soil, and the plants withered away and died. He said some of the seeds fell on, on weed-filled land. And those seeds also sprang up and grew, but before too long also they were grabbed hold of by those weeds and choked out, and they died. He said, finally, some of the seed fell on good soil, and it produced a crop, a huge crop. That parable, Jesus tells us what different kinds of hearts there can be. And John the Baptist was trying to get people to be that last kind of soil in their hearts, that receptive soil where the seed of God's word, his law, and his gospel in particular would strike hearts and faith would grow in those hearts. People would be led, as, as it says here, to something called repentance. You know what repentance is? Changed hearts and minds. That's really what a receptive heart is. It's a, it's a heart that the Holy Spirit has touched through the word and the sacraments, sacraments like baptism. John the Baptist. Those sacraments, the Holy Spirit uses them. The Bible, the word of God, the Holy Spirit uses them. And he changes hearts and minds. And what an awesome thing that God gives you and me the ability to carry that word and carry those sacraments out into the world so that we too can cleanse hearts and minds the way John the Baptist was doing. Now that's not an easy job. And people will look at you just like they look at a triathlon runner. Why would anyone ever want to do that? Why would anyone ever want the job that John the Baptist had? So I'm going to tell you something that's very important. It's habit number five. If you're ready to see the mission along with John the Baptist, that all mankind will see God's salvation, that our job, our mission in life is to change hearts and minds along with John the Baptist, then here's habit number five. First, understand yourself then understand your neighbor. I want you to look at John the Baptist himself. Do you know that John the Baptist was a very humble man? You can see it in so many ways. He, um, he had, pull out your crosswalk notes, in fact. I, I put some of these passages in your notes. Let's take a look at those. 
Now I don't know what I did with my crosswalk notes. But you can, uh, you can take a look at them. Here we go. Take a look at that first one that I put there for you. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. Modest, humble clothing. His food was locusts and wild honey. A modest diet, modest food. In those days, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. A humble home was John the Baptist's. But here's where we really get to know what was in John's heart from John's language, from John's words. Look what, it, look what he says if you flip your crosswalk notes over. Some people are coming to John and saying, I'll bet you're the Messiah. You're the one God promised. And John says, no, it's not me. And humbly, John says, one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. There's John the Baptist saying, I'm not a worthy man for anything. I don't deserve anything. Compare me to the true Messiah. I don't even, I shouldn't even be untying his shoes. And then finally, when Jesus came to be baptized by John. Remember what John the Baptist said to Jesus? Jesus, you know who really needs to be washed clean here? You know who really needs to be baptized? Not you. I'm the, I'm the sinner. I'm the one that needs to be washed. Matthew 3.14, John tried to deter Jesus from, from asking him to baptize him, baptize him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? You see, I think John the Baptist, as he approached his ministry, a difficult ministry of facing people, giving them the honest truth about their lives. And if you read the story of John the Baptist, you, you see that. You, you see him confronting soldiers and saying, don't extort money from them. And tax, tax collectors and saying, you know, be honest in how you collect taxes. Constantly being very honest and upfront with people. And yet at the same time, it's the same John the Baptist who points to Jesus and says... Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the same John the Baptist going around the whole region of the Jordan, we're told, baptizing people so that their sins could be washed away. Law, yes. John was familiar with being in people's faces with the law. But gospel too, and always giving that gospel word the last word. He's almost a living example of what it says in Luke chapter 6. As you go about being a modern-day John the Baptist, do you think about this passage? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You have a grand and glorious mission that God has given you. But there is a right way to go about it. And, and the first point that I want to make this morning is God wants us first to understand and change our own hearts and minds. It begins at home. It's so easy when you're listening to a message, when you're in a Bible study, a growth group, to go, yeah, man, does so-and-so need to hear this? 
It's so easy when, when we sing a hymn or, or, or hear a, a Bible passage, maybe during the week we, we've, we're reading in our Bible or listen to a song on the radio to go, wow, I wish, I wish God could strike that person with that message. God says, no, step back first, the way John the Baptist did. And realize first that we need to pull the planks out of our own eyes and then we'll see clearly to pull the specks out of others, other people's eyes. Approach this mission humbly, in other words. Take a look at uh, the next passage, Luke chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. There's no question, no question at all, that it is a horrible thing for a follower of Christ to go around confronting others over their sin with a heart filled of pride and arrogance that looks down on others and says, look, you're a sinner and you need to get up to my level. That's exactly the opposite of what John the Baptist shows us. It's exactly the opposite of what Luke chapter 6 tells us about specks and planks. It's a horrible thing to be judgmental. And Jesus clearly states that. But you know what? It's equally terrible, maybe even more so, when we're so afraid of being judgmental that we clam up that we get shy, that people don't hear the truth from us, that they're not confronted over their sins. Because then truly we are letting people drive off the edge of a cliff with no warning. I want you to look at John the Baptist, this humble man. Humble clothing, humble food, humble home, humble language. A man who knew that he was a sinner who needed to be washed by Jesus. But also a man who would take on the powerful of his day and say, look, the way you're living is not all right with God. It's not. And do that, mind you, with great courage at the risk of his own life. This guy had guts. And he stood up to King Herod. And it was well known that these guys were not afraid to execute people, by the way. In fact, the Herods are well known that they often executed their own relatives, their own sons who tried to displace them were often executed. That's how vicious these Herods were. And John the Baptist stands up and says, what you're doing, in fact, all these evil things you've done, It's not all right with God. And I think you know how that story ended up. It ended up with John the Baptist's head on a plate. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone do that? Because John the Baptist clearly was a man on a mission. A mission given him by God. A mission to see it to it that all mankind would see God's salvation. And it's that same mission that God gives to you. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2 here. Notice what it says. And this is, it's, it's saying to you. 
Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. You're going to get asked questions sometimes when you're expecting them. And sometimes maybe you're at work and all of a sudden a guy comes up and he goes, you know, I've always been wanting to ask you this. And all of a sudden, out of season, when you're least expecting it, you're going to be talking about God. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Even rebuke. And also, of course, encourage. And do all this with great patience and careful instruction. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes to the Romans. And I certainly hope that none of us are ashamed of the gospel. In fact, what a wonderful thing, and I've often said this to you, to be part of a church like Crosswalk, that, that so many people come to me with stories and say, this is how I shared the gospel with someone this week, Pastor. What do you think? How can I go back to this person? Paul, too, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know what? He believed that the gospel was a very powerful, powerful tool in his hands. He says it here. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. How awesome it is to lead someone else to know the grace of God. Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that God has grace for the whole world. An undeserved love that caused him to send his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. An undeserved love that caused him also to walk into this spiritual desert and, and to, to share his own body and blood as the atoning sacrifice, the price that would pay for the sins of every last person. Remember that beautiful thing that John used to say when he pointed to Jesus? It's so important for us to remember. I love that passage. Look, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. Everybody. You can, you can go to your friend, the one that you want to talk to about Christ, and you can assure him, that Jesus' sacrifice was for him because Jesus is the Lamb of God who came away, who came here to take away the sin of the world. You yourself can be so sure that your sins are taken away just by asking yourself the simple question, am I part of the world? Well, if John the Baptist says Jesus took away the sins of the world, then my sins must be taken away too. What an awesome message and what an awesome mission that we have. And you know what's been great from the word go here at Crosswalk is that we have been partnered with a ministry that believes that its mission too is to change hearts and minds, to remove obstacles to the gospel. We've been partnered with Arizona Lutheran Academy. We've got their choir here today, as Jonathan said, to celebrate that partnership. And uh, I want the principal of ALA just to, to come and tell you a little bit about this ministry this morning and about how ALA is really essentially doing the same thing we're doing, changing hearts and minds using the gospel. Dan? Thank you, Jeff. 
As you mentioned, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about changing hearts and minds today, and as you mentioned, that's what we get to do every day. You know, in the early 1970s, there was a group of families throughout this whole city that said, you know, we want a place for our teenagers to hear the gospel that changes hearts and minds each and every day. In 1978, we began, not in this beautiful facility, but in a fellowship hall of a church, St. Thomas and 59th Avenue in Thomas. 1980, my freshman year of high school at ALA, uh, we went to, uh, we, we moved into a, a grade school. It's today the Alhambra Traditional School, uh, but we leased a grade school facility there from 1980 until about 1986. I did graduate in 1984. I wasn't on the six-year plan. <laughs> but in, in uh, November of 1985, our lease was up. We had nowhere to go. And an uh, amazing thing happened. They called the miracle on 27th Avenue. Uh, what you have is what, we, what we're looking at today. In a matter of, of months, we purchased and bought this facility, or purchased and built this facility, again, with the purpose of changing the hearts and minds of young people in this community. The interesting thing is, we were, there really wasn't much of a community. There was a lot of farm fields at the time. Uh, the vast majority of our kids uh, drove in because we're central to the valley. But what an amazing thing for us to witness. In 2001, we put together a long-range planning committee for the school. And we recognize that we want to change the hearts and minds, not only of our kids here today, but the folks within this community that we could see was about to take place. We could see that the buildings were starting to come in and there were no churches. And we as a school really wanted to reach out with the gospel of Jesus and change hearts and minds of young people, but we also didn't have a church to plug them into. And so we dreamed big. Pastor Gunn was my assistant principal at the time. And and there's a few of us here today. We, we met, I don't know, probably five or six of us met on a Saturday mornings, lots of Saturday mornings, dreaming about what we're doing right now. Is that a place in a community, in a, in a gym that is full of sweaty guys and gals running up and down the floor and every, during, the, during the week, is a place where on a Sunday that we can give glory to God and focus on that cross of which our kids get to focus on in those bleachers in chapel each and every day. And so the partnership with, uh, with ALA and with, with Crosswalk is truly, it's what, what makes this day so special. That, uh, what an amazing thing is that we can come uh, to a, a place that we kind of refer to, a place called school. And, and we can participate in sports. We see some banners on the wall. You know, I, I've grown up at ALA in the 80s. I always point the kids to the real banners on the back wall. Those are the 80s. It seems like a year ago, but it was really a week ago that you may have turned on your television sets on Cox Channel 7 and, and watched our football team play live football out of the University of Arizona. We played in the state championship game last week. It seems, quite frankly, uh, not a right thing that a state championship game should go down to the last play in overtime. And uh, unfortunately, we were on the losing end of that. And I think it seems like a year ago, but it was only a week ago. We may have lost the football game, but folks, we won the bigger game. And I'll tell you why. Because to watch the ALA Nation and the family, and most importantly, and to addition, the football players, these young Christian men, you know, watching them display their faith so publicly in the newspaper, fifth largest city in America. And on Thanksgiving Day, I opened up my newspaper and just saw this amazing testament of what is this school is all about. And so, yes, we can change hearts and minds through things like sports. We can change hearts and minds through this choir that you see here in the music program. These, these folks had a special invitation. They're coming June. 
They're going to be playing, or singing rather, special invite at Carnegie Hall in New York City. How cool is that? And we want them to go, and they're going to go, and they're going to have a great time. But we want them to go because we want them to tell the world, including those in New York City, the special things that God has done in their lives, how God, through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of His Savior Jesus, changes hearts and minds. And so today's teens, you know, you hear in the newspaper a lot and you read a lot about the teens of today. I just want to tell you how proud we are and phenomenal young people we have that are in those classrooms every day of the week. And again, what a celebration is today that we can come today and have utilization of this facility, this campus, 24-7 to give praise, honor, and glory to our Savior Jesus. In this room right over here, our music room at 4 o'clock today, our delegate assembly of our high school is going to discuss, and we hopefully will approve, the, the building on and enhancing this campus that has so utilized us and has been such a blessing to us for 20 years. But we're hoping uh, to continue that expansion. We're, we have a record number of, of young people at our school, in part because of the amazing things happen in this community. And uh, we want to be meshed with this community with you at Crosswalk. And so from the ALA family to the folks here at Crosswalk, please know that uh, we are tremendous fans. We're praying for you. We are so grateful that God is being glorified every day on this campus, including Sundays. So with that, I'll turn it over to Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. What a great thing to be part of a group of people like the Crosswalk people who have truly captured God's vision that all mankind will see God's salvation. What a great thing to be partnered with a school like Arizona Lutheran Academy that also wants all mankind to see God's salvation. And to see young people like the young people here in this choir who also want all mankind to see God's salvation. It all comes, just like it did with John the Baptist, of us understanding our mission in life. And that is to clear those obstacles away, to change hearts and minds using the power of the law and the gospel, the word and the sacraments, this powerful, powerful tool that God has given us, as Paul said in Romans 1.16. And that leads to our, to our final point for this morning, our, our second and final point, which I want to make sure I get you for your, uh, your crosswalk notes this morning. And that is simply this. God wants us to also understand that we're here to change our neighbor's heart and mind. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk now, if you will. This week, develop a habit of confession. That's how we get to that place in our hearts where we're humbled first before we go out to others. Developing a habit of confession. Confessing our sins daily to God serves, us as a good remi- serves as a good reminder to ourselves that we still struggle daily with sin. Humble hearts are God-pleasing. Secondly, in your witness, as you go around speaking up for the gospel, hold up the gospel. Remember, the gospel is the power that changes hearts and minds. And finally, here's your passage to meditate on and memorize for this coming week, Romans 1.16. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've cast this vision for us, that the whole world would see your salvation, the salvation that you won for us by sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is 
that atoning sacrifice that makes us one with you again, that he was willing to give his own body and blood for us to pay that price so that all our sins are forgiven, so that eternal life is ours as a free gift from you. Lord, change our hearts and minds first. Help us to realize how deeply we need a Savior like Jesus. And help us to understand that when we go out to preach others, we do so as fellow sinners. We do so as people who, who have the same needs in life as, as the people that we talk to do. And Lord, make us bold for you, as John the Baptist was bold. Help us to go out and make level ground so that you may come into many hearts and minds and that all the world can see your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.